Episode 104 of The Real Photo Show, sponsored by the School of Visual Arts MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media Program, chaired by Charles Traub. My guest today is Madeline Jeregian. But before we get to that, uh, just one announcement. The next show at the JKC Gallery will feature the work of Edwin J. Torres, who is a previous guest of the show. The show is actually going to be two bodies of work by Edwin. One was a series of photos made for the New York Times as part of a year-long story called Murder in the 4-0, which was an investigation of why homicides were up in some parts of New York City while the overall crime rates were dropping. And because of the way Edwin had to reach out to families and, and photograph the survivors of the victims, he needed to do other work, and this is the other body of work, that somehow counterbalanced all the sadness and tragedy he was experiencing in the New York Times piece. So the other body of work is more about life in the Bronx. And so this is the first time he's putting these two bodies of work together that were made simultaneously. So in case you didn't listen to that episode with Edwin or you don't remember all the details, Edwin is currently the deputy digital director for the governor of New Jersey. And before that, he worked for the mayor of New York. And before that, he was a member of the Bronx Documentary Center. And that's actually something we bonded over when we first met at the JKC Gallery. Not that I was a member of the BDC, but I uh, had Michael Camber on the show and I'm a big fan of the organization. So I'm looking forward to installing that show this week, and then the reception will be on December 2nd from 5 to 7 p.m. And as always, you can find out more information about the JKC Gallery at mccc.edu forward slash JKC Gallery, all one word. All right, so again, my guest today is Madeline Jeregian. Madeline is a really interesting artist whose work brings together photography, literature, and writing in a very original way. Uh, sometimes the work is the writings, and sometimes the writings inform the work. Uh, the arc of Madeline's life and career has roots in the Armenian genocide, and her family's immigrant story is complicated and inspiring. So Madeline's CV is pretty packed. I'll just read some of the highlights. She's had solo exhibitions at Gallery Klaus Peter Goebel in Stuttgart and Gallery Otto Schweins in Cologne, also at the Newport Museum Postcard Museum at the University of Wales, and the Reading Room in Dallas, Texas. Uh, she was also recently at the 30-year anniversary book fair at SVA MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media. And that is where I invited her to be on the show because I realized I had never had her on the show. Uh, she was a presenter at Marble Hill Camera and Supper Club, of course, put on by Patrice Helmar, a presenter uh, to the Cooper Union for the Advancement of Science and Art on an homage to Dor Ashton, a visiting artist fellow at the Newport School of Art and Media Design, University of Wales, and a visiting artist lecturer at the Graduate School of Arts at Columbia University. She's also the co-founder of One at 111, which we will talk about on the show. And so those are just a, a few of the things from her CV, which you can find at madelinejeregian.com, all one word, and of course linked in this episode. So we spend a decent amount of time on two of Madeline's pieces, uh, Letters to Simon and Primer Jungle Battles. So I've directly linked to both of those works because it would probably be helpful for you to see those works either before or after uh, we talk about them on the show. 
And on a little more personal note, I've known Madeline for about 30 years, and we have a a funny story that we share at the beginning of the episode. But also, it was so great to catch up with her because I think we've fallen out of touch uh, over the years. And there were always questions I had about where she came from and who her influences were. And so we finally get to have that conversation with all of you. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. I actually am uncertain as to where you really live now. <laughs> do you still have the New York apartment? Yes, you do. I do. Yeah, around thirteen. Oh, no. We're recording. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we started. Yeah, um, yeah. I on West Thirteenth uh, Street. Yeah, and edge we, of the West Village, edge edging onto Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah, and we have a, a funny connection to that place. That's do you right. remember? <laughs> My neighbor below me. Your neighbor below you was a family aunt of mine. So she wasn't blood related, but we knew her as Aunt Gloria because she was friends of my aunt and uncles for a long time, I, uh, you know, an old family friend. And so we just called her Aunt Gloria and she would come out for holidays and to visit and uh, they they drank a lot and, and uh, they were uh, hard partiers back then. And I, I never put it together because we used to drop her off. She worked for the one of the mayors of New York City, maybe Lindsay, and had special access to all the restaurants. So when we went out with Aunt Gloria, nobody paid. <laughs> nice. Yes. And we'd have like, you know... $25 shrimp cocktails and, you know, all kinds of things. And You'd live it up. We did. We'd come in and live it up. Every and time. That's yeah, great. that was a night out with Aunt Gloria. Uh, so she had some, some uh, let's just say, uh, um, interesting connections to New York City. That's correct. <laughs> she was a character. She had a very, she always was dressed in absolute black, but she had a fantastic uh, blonde wig. Yes, yes. Yeah, black sunglasses. She black and my aunt hat. loved wigs and that yeah <laughs> so uh here we are at the school of visual arts and you were a, a grad student here is was in the 90s in the 90s i was here from 95 to 97 yeah right and but before that you your undergraduate was at columbia and it was it was it middle eastern languages it was middle eastern languages and cultures mm. That might have been different from, I don't know, like a poli-sci uh, uh-huh. degree. I mean, although, of course, it encompassed all of that. But I had come to Columbia, and I hadn't started out in Middle Eastern studies. I had come to Columbia, and like everyone else there, I had to, had to fulfill the requirements of the core curriculum, and then they had language requirements. And when I first came, I took Japanese. I was, Japan was sort of hot at the time and I was tired of, you know, studying French and German and this. And so I took Japanese and that was incredible. They had a wonderful department and intense people in it, not just the faculty, but the, the um, you know, my, my st- uh, fellow students. Um, but the classes were getting smaller and smaller. And as I came to figure out what I was going to major in, which I really had no idea. You know, I so was, was this a real liberal arts right, it was education, a, right, right, right? right? And humanities, arts and humanities and this kind of thing. I thought, oh, I don't really want to be majoring in Japanese studies. 
So I, I decided I would sort of segue into Middle Eastern because I had been taking some classes in those departments and also, of course, because I had grown up, a good part of my childhood was spent in the Middle East. Right. So it was, you know, it was a, it was a choice of major that was really, you know, for somebody who was a little bit uh, <laughs> unfocused, <laughs> you know, um, at the time, you know, I was probably, I mean, I think I took one art history class, whatever the requirement was, and supposedly there was a dark room somewhere that was at Barnard that was locked. You know, I was at Columbia College, you know, Columbia and Barnard was separate, but there wasn't any kind of fine arts thing, and I wasn't really in thinking about that at the time at all. I want to come back to uh, your degree and, and when you get into fine art and all, but where were you actually raised? Because I don't think I've ever sort of fully figured out the, the whole story. Uh, a number of places. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to, this is always the question that was always impossible <laughs> to answer. Right. And I used to feel, you know, as a kid, I used to feel, you know, had a little angst about it, but I don't. I, I, may, I remember meeting your father. Yes. Yeah, uh, several times. And, and I, you know, I just remember him, because uh, I had met him when he was much older, uh, and he was, he was very quiet and uh, soft-spoken. I, I always think of my uh, my father as being very like he was pretty intense, but mm. he was also very kind of calm. He had a great sharp wit, though. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. You know, my mom too. Uh, uh -huh. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, so I'm 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 blanking on what what he did. I, for some reason, I'm thinking so, architecture, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He was an architect. He was uh, he was born here in New York and from immigrant parents, uh, uh, and he, uh, that side of the family is fully Armenian. Oh, okay. And I told God. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> I once said something about Turkey at a gathering, and the room got very quiet. quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't remember what it was. It was something about Turkey and its government and uh, its relationship to other countries or something. And I was like, oh, I think I just stepped on a landmine. Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> they were, they, you know, this was, this was, uh, you know, the family was not as, as like intensely, like outwardly political about, about yeah. that. But of course, you know, my grandparents uh, had uh, fled after the genocide and my father's father, you know, he was one of, uh, four brothers, and he had left with one brother stayed behind. Two other brothers uh, went to Lebanon. They all went through Syria. My grandfather spent a good amount of time in Syria before eventually making his way through France okay. to the United States. And my grandparents um, had had an arranged marriage Wow. Um, and my grandmother was, I have to say, probably shockingly young. My great-grandmother had three daughters that she had to provide for or take care of, um, having, you know, she was widowed. She was also, you know, somebody coming out of this uh, genocide, you know, genocide. Yes. And so, you know, she had married, she she sort of paired off her daughters and, oh, okay. you know, with, with right. in these arranged marriages. And my grandmother, of course, was, uh, she was a very smart woman, but she was married, I think, maybe even at the age of 14. And to somebody she had never met. Yeah. And to get into this country, and um, she never finished high school. 
And this was always something that she wanted, you know, and education, of course, in this immigrant situation was always a huge thing. So my grandparents on that side, my father's uh, side, um, you know, they had two sons, my father and my uncle. And my father ended up uh, studying architecture at Pratt. And he actually, he went into the army to make money to go to Pratt because they oh, wow. hadn't really raised enough money to, for him to go to college. But then he, he, he did that and he went to Pratt and he went to the School of Architecture. And so he was an architect and he was with a, a large firm for almost his entire career. I mean, maybe a few other little jobs at the beginning. And what happened was in the 70s with the recession, he saw they were going to need projects and work. And he started cultivating these connections that he had, possibilities in the Middle East. You know, he had some family, oh, his uncles were okay. there. And so he, and they were doing work in Beirut. They started doing work in Beirut. So, and you've um, done some projects with photographs from that, that era, right? From your, was it your father or your grandfather? Yeah, no, my father, yeah. uh, my father took uh, pictures. What happened was we moved to Beirut. My father, my father got a lot of work uh, projects and this was something that kept the firm going, you know, um, certainly at the time. And so he decided he was traveling all the time back and forth to mostly Beirut and maybe a few other places in the Mideast. And he decided that you know, this was sort of ridiculous. He really, in order to really do something very substantial over there. He needed to have a real presence. So he moved, made an office, and he moved the family over. And this is 1975. Oh, okay. So I was about eight years old. We came in April, I think, went into school. I have two sisters. We went into school there. And by October... You and I are the same age. <laughs> that's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, by October, we were out of uh, Beirut because oh, things okay. had really gotten bad mm -hmm. and but we left and evacuated uh and we went uh like many people to places that were somewhat close you know people went to athens or maybe i don't know you know i don't know like cyprus or you know wherever they they would go thinking oh well it's gonna smooth down a little bit you know we'll just <laughs> wait till this blows over you know because there had been you know there was all kinds of act you know political strife political going strife on, going right? on at the time yeah and so but it never blew over. We lived in the the, the Hilton Hotel in Athens, oh, like wow. at the foot of the Acropolis for like, I don't know, I think like eight months or something, <laughs> you know, until finally my mother said, yeah, we're gonna yeah, get a house. It's time to it's go, time some, to go yeah. someplace. <laughs> so then we were in Greece in in Athens or just outside of Athens for a little, for about three years. And then, you know, my father wasn't working in Greece. So at all this time, was your mother home taking care of the kids? My mother was, yeah, home taking care of the kids, but she was, that's, well, not entirely true. She was also acting as a sort of de facto, you know, assistant, secretary, et cetera, oh, for my father. For and because there was, no, yeah, we're talking impromptu office, you know, telexes have to be sent, you know, like all this kind of thing and organizing and, you know, she was sort of like on the ground, you know, running. And I think about that a lot because I remember when later my mother had to enter the workforce in a kind of formal way, none of the kind of rich experience that she had seemed to 
be something that people could recognize. Oh. This happens, I think, a lot. This happened a lot to that generation of women whom, um, you know, had been homemakers, mm -hmm. housewives, mothering their children, but meanwhile doing lots of other kinds of things. But Keeping it all together. Keeping the whole ship like running. People who are great organizers, planners, who, you know, if, if people understood that, would realize the value of how, you know, how important there is to have someone who can juggle 12 things. Right. Right. And keep everyone on schedule and keep everything organized. And also to, you know, hit you on the side of the head every once in a while and say, that's not the way to do it or that's, that's wrong or. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and doing it in a way where it's like, you know, here's my mother, you know, thrown into Beirut, then having to leave, you know, having yeah. to pull the family, you know, and then you know, landing in, this, in Greece and then landing in Saudi Arabia. And there's no, there is no, um, which would make other people formula. curl up and cry. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. There's no, there's no, you know, there's no set way of, you know, there's nothing, what do they call that? You know, laid out for how you're supposed to do it. You yeah. got to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. She, you know, kudos to my mother, whose story, her, you know, she's got a great, great uh, life story as well. But that's what, you know, that was sort of the childhood, was expat childhood, being in these schools, being moved around, um, but actually having an incredibly rich cultural experience, and also being very open to all kinds of different ways, right. people with different... Right customs and traditions and, mm -hmm. you know everything so i feel very kind of blessed in that way do you still speak other languages fluently well maybe not fluently <laughs> okay but it's hard to speak with you know if you're not speaking all the time but yes, yeah i yeah. do have yeah i'm pretty good in certain languages but mm -hmm. i don't know what it'd be like now but that was a you know, I, I, and I'm sure, I'm sure at the time I was probably bemoaning all kinds of, you know, the, you know, like the moving, <laughs> the moving and all that stuff, right. but it was also, you know, you realized how fortunate we were. And then also we were, it was drummed into us because, you know, we had come from, you know, my parents had come from very, very modest backgrounds, if not, you know, poor. Right. And, you know, we were there as ex expats at that time, you know, we were traveling around, we were going seeing the world, you know, we were going through Italy, Egypt, this kind of thing, taking, you know, it was really, and none of those things had been afforded in that way to our, you know, older members of the family who had really come from tragedy. Right. You know, and on my mother's side, my grandfather had come from the Philippines and he had also left a kind of political situation that was difficult. And then when do you return to the States? Well, we returned to this. I returned to the States because uh, it was 1980. We were in Saudi Arabia at the time, and uh, my older sister, older by a year, there was no school for her after ninth grade. So she had to go to a boarding school. And so I think she did a tour of boarding schools, maybe in Europe and in the, in the U.S., and, and picked one or, you know, got into one and picked one. You know. And then at the last minute, I think my parents felt a little angst about like having her go so far away by herself. And so they asked if there was room for me, <laughs> you know, like I could go, I'm sort of like, like, you know, a little two for one there. Uh -huh. And uh, so I ended up coming back to the United States as a boarding student, a ninth grade, in, you know, freshman year of high school, coming into a New England boarding school. From Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which <laughs> was like landing on another planet, yes. honestly. <laughs> I mean, I think I think about it. You know, 
we read the preppy handbook because we were like, this is what we're going to get into. The whole thing was a spoof, right? But it was sort of like, we were like, oh, we're taking it a little bit. You know, there was a little bit like... How white was that boarding school? You know, (laughs) this was intense. We were going to, we were going to school. We've been going to school with kids who would, parents were worked in, you know, oil industry or defense industry or Raytheon, you know, whatever it was, you know, this kind of thing. And, you know, kids from California and Texas and largely. And so this was another world. (laughs) But that being said, that was an incredible experience. Great schooling. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the Taft School. And I had some of the best teachers I've had in my life, including, you know, Columbia. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, including at Columbia. More, you know, maybe even more so Mm -hmm. there. Um, so I felt, I also felt a lot of responsibility for that. Um, because, you know, as I said, like my grandmother, her dream had been to go to college. You get an education, you know, and everything that she did was oriented to, um, you know, getting her children to have those opportunities and her grand, you know, grandchildren. That was great for her to see. Right. Right. Well, so she did see it. Yeah, she did see it. Yeah. And and then from Taft, you go to Columbia yeah. right away, or right? I went right yeah. away. I was like, okay, I'm done with the you know small. I want a city school. Uh-huh. I was like, <laughs> I wanted something, you know. I wanted so, and I, I pretty much only applied to Columbia. I applied early, mm-hmm. and interestingly, at the time, it, I was in the second class of coeds at the college because uh, until like the year before I entered, it had been an all male school. And I remember, I remember in like ninth or 10th grade, 10th grade, I talked to like my teacher at, at Taft at, in high school and said, you know, I want to go to, Col-. he went to, he had gone to Columbia and said, I want to go there. I want that education. I want to study you know, these books. And da, da, da. And he said, well, you can't. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, it's a, it's a male school. There's only, it's all a boys school. <laughs> That's school. Right. And that was the, f- one of the first times I'd really encountered mm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that way. But yeah, so I entered Columbia mm-hmm. and was there for four years straight. In the Barnard School? No, I was not in Barnard. Oh, you're not in the Barnard yeah. School. Yeah. Okay. Columbia was interesting. Columbia had saw the writing on the wall and saw that the other schools in there, you know, were taking, you know, that they had to start accepting women. And so they apparently originally they approached Barnard and said, we're going to merge. You're going to merge into us. And Barnard told them where they could take it, you know? (laughs) So they had two. We like what we have. Yeah. yeah, So they had two, two, two schools where, you know, two colleges where women could go, Barnard or Columbia. Right. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, And then when, when do you start becoming interested in visual arts? I, in a kind of formal way, um, I, I Right, I mean, I obviously say, you, were, well, you probably had plenty of exposure to art and yeah, in, in a cultural no, but way, I think, right? I, to be honest, I remember in, maybe even as far back as Saudi Arabia, looking, you know, this is, of course, let's talk, we're talking way before the internet. Mm-hmm. So we only had magazines and limited ones at those, you know. So there was, I was always avidly looking at pictures in magazines, including like Vogue. I mean, anything, mm-hmm. you know, we could see. And I remember when I was in high school, I was, they had a, have a beautiful library, uh, Taft School, and I would pour through the books that they had there on photography. Oh. Yes, and I would look at all the magazines. They had a lot of periodicals in the <laughs> library, and I would look at Paris Match, <laughs> and, you know, God knows what else, you know, Time Life, this, that, Newsweek, and I would look at all the, I was really interested in photojournalism, in fact, and so I started taking photography classes in high school. That was my interest, and yeah. not painting or anything else. 
And in, in fact, what happened was that at the end of my time at Columbia, did not know what to do, uh, what, you know, what kind of, I had done lots of different kinds of internships and summer jobs and this and that, but I just happened that I, I think it was Zoom Magazine had an issue on photo agencies. And I read about this, like Magnum and Contact Press <laughs> and Black Star, and I thought, this is what I'd like to work at a photo agency. <laughs> you know, like, so, and I thought, here's a job. I can be a photo researcher. So I looked, and it was like looking in the New York Times. That's where it was advertising. Like photo researching back, jobs. Photo researching jobs. <laughs> and I got a job starting at Black Star. Oh, wow. Which was kind of amazing. Oh. Because Black Star had a deep, rich archive. It probably was one of the biggest at the it time, was right? One if of the not biggest. the biggest, yeah. yeah. Started by, or maybe one of the first people in it was Eugene Smith, or you know, I'm like getting mixed up now. Mm -hmm. But but it was run by a couple, uh, Howard uh, and Jeanette Chapnick, and Howard's brother uh, as well, Ben, and had great photographers and and this deep archive and you know Charles Moore's photographs of the civil rights movement were. You know, he was represented by Black Star. Oh, wow. And, you know, all kinds of photojournalists, Christopher Morris, who was sort of youngish at the time. And, you know, uh, and he had started maybe as like a photo researcher, too, or maybe even like a photo filer, like filing the slides. <laughs> you know, I mean, and so I started working there and I didn't think I ever really want to be a photojournalist. As a matter of fact, when I was in high school, no, college, my boyfriend at the time was a photographer. We would just go, we would have our cameras with us all the time. It was just something you did. You weren't really weren't going out to photograph. You were just going out to do whatever you're doing, and you had your camera. And but he had uh, his his uncle or cousin was uh, is is Harry Madison, uh, who's a photojournalist. And I remember we went down to meet with Harry, have dinner with him, and his wife Carolyn Forche, a poet. And they had come, they had been in El Salvador. And Carolyn Forche, who's an incredible poet, uh, had come out with this book, The Country Between Us, I think is the title. I don't remember. And it was sort of like seeing rock stars, you know, um, like, and because we had dinner. I remember, you know, my boyfriend had had bought the book Telex Iran. Oh, yeah. And that was sort of blown me. That was probably the first photo book I really remember wow. seeing. Like, yeah. or like thinking about as like, whoa, you know. And and we ended up having dinner with Gilles Perez <laughs> and I think his partner or wife or whatever, Nan Richardson at the time, who's photo editor, you know, photo person. And, and then the two, you know, Harry Madison and Carolyn Forche. And it was sort of like, it was, you know, you felt like, oh, this is intense. These people have been through something. But I wasn't interested in doing that per se. And photo research was actually a great way of learning how to edit and this kind of thing, even on a very low, small scale. But I was started to get a little antsy um, mm. because I it wasn't what I really, I wasn't still a little unfocused. And Were you cataloging and captioning or, and finding out, you know, making sure the facts were right in the photos and... Yeah, you were fine. Well, actually, I was doing like the prelim on like, you know, like we need, you know, we have this, we need some images of this. And so I would pull together, I would cull, and okay. then that would be culled by the mm -hmm. real, you know, photo editors. Oh, you weren't, you weren't doing intake. You were doing, you were working on the library after it was taken in. 
Yeah. And doing yeah. the research for, for going out for again. For going out again. Oh, okay, okay. And yeah. then although at the end I remember that Bill Burke was considering, or maybe he was signing on with Black Star, and they wanted me to sit with him and go through his work. And I thought like, <laughs> whoa. I mean, first of all, I thought, this is Bill Burke, and I am like 20 years <laughs> <Yeah>. old. And <laughs> You're um, going to make decisions. And I'm going to make decisions <laughs> with this man who's, you know, like I, I felt a little ashamed, you know. I mean, I was, you know, I was, you know, flattered or whatever, and I, you know, did my best, but I thought, oh, what? they entrusted me, you know. Uh-huh. You know, so I was doing a good job and everything, but yeah, it I... wasn't quite right. <laughs> and it was... <laughs> How was his reaction and all? Oh, I mean, you know, he was just like, I got to put up with this. But, you know, like probably, I mean, he was very gracious, oh, good. you know, and, and um, you know, I certainly wasn't, you know, it, it was just, I was also a little pre- doing the prelim on him, but uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but something significant happened to me while I was at Black Star, which was that Howard Chapnick at the time was the chairman or something of the W. Eugene Smith Fund. And there was an award that was given every year for a work, a body of work. And the year that I was there, it was Paul Graham was select. His work was selected. And this was a little bit of a, Howard Howard thought it was scandalous (laughs) because Paul's work, which I think it was Beyond Caring, Mm. maybe, and also New Europe, was you know, sort of elliptic, well, I mean, some of it, like New Europe certainly is, is something of a, an elliptical, mm-hmm. m- mysterious, intense, cool book. And but, beyond caring but probably is, at that right. point still a bit more grounded in vernacular than uh, later work? Or? Yeah, well, maybe yeah. than his later, may, yeah. 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 Right. But, you know, in, in terms of like photojournalism mm, and, right, you know, right. in this tradition and documentary style and blah, blah, blah. Right. It, first of all, Howard was all upset because it was in color. Oh, <laughs> you know, this was the first time this award had been given to a body of work or, you know, photographer, artist who was working in color. So this guy comes to, t- you know, Paul comes to town to, you know, come and, you know, for the ceremony, blah, blah. And and he gives a talk at ICP, the old ICP <laughs> up on 94th Street in the or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And and here's this sort of very, you know, sort of slender guy with this winning this huge award where all this and uh, with this body of work and I remember looking at it and it was like I somehow connected to it even though I couldn't really make a lot of sense you know like I I couldn't I wouldn't be able to articulate to you why I liked this work or or what I mean at the time right right, right. so and that was the first time that I thought of photography as something that like I was thinking it sort of outside the box of this sort of more traditional reportage kind of imagery. Absolutely, yeah. And that there was something that was like, I wouldn't have used the word art about it because I wasn't thinking in those terms. Mm-hmm. But it was, it, it stayed with me. And so that was my first, I think, real experience with, I don't know how no, to put seeing it. Photography seeing photography in a different, expressive in a different, a different way. way right? As opposed yeah. to how it was being fed to me. Yeah. And then I think another thing that happened at the time was that my father, who had grown up in Queens, had quietly been like giving money to this little place called PS1. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. And like, and so he said he, he would take the family, he would take us. This is way, you know, and it was really just. Oh, yeah. It, it was just. It had nothing to do with MoMA. It had nothing to do with MoMA at the, do time. With MoMA at right, the right, time. Yeah. And I 
remember going to, a, there was a big Arte Povera show, I remember that, but I remember going with him. He said, well, yeah, we're going to go to this place. It's kind of cool. It's a school. And he never would have used that word, but I mean, he, yes, he, yeah, right. but he, he's, he's, it's interesting or, you know, or something. Right. So, and I like it. And, you know, this, they're doing something. Strange. And so we went and it was 1990 or 1991. And it was a show by David Hammonds, who that was like my real introduction to I feel like contemporary, you know, those two things were my real introduction to kind of contemporary mm-hmm. artistic, you know, whatever art, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And that was like a shot to the heart, you know, an arrow into the heart when I saw that show. Mm. That was intense. Were you still at Blackstar? I was at that still, point? I think I was still at Blackstar at that point. But what happened was after about a year and a half at Blackstar, I decided I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to do something else. And I didn't really know what to do, but. My uncle, my uncle was in Syria. My father's brother, he was actually the ambassador to Syria. Oh, wow. The U.S. ambassador. And my grandmother was going over there or something, and, or my sister had been there, or, you know, and I thought, well, I'm going to go too. I've stu- you know, I studied the Middle East, and I haven't been, have, you know, we lived over there, but I hadn't been to Syria. And so I went there for about a month. You're maybe, out of maybe Columbia. More. I'm out of Columbia. Yeah. I'm sort of af- after a year and a half of working mm-hmm. at um, Black Star and looking, you know, to do something, but I wasn't sure. And so I went and I sort of took like a little uh, break <laughs> <laughs> from work to go to uh, Syria. To go to Syria, <laughs> and I thought, you know, this is sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, because my uncle's there. And so I was there, and I photographed and this kind of thing. I mean, you know, it was a very kind of interesting situation because I'm there and, you know, with my uncle, who's the ambassador, you know, and we're like the— Are you in a compound? We're in the the U.S. ambassador's (laughs) residence. Is looks straight out from the front down to a dead end, you know, across the street, which was like the, you know, secret police, basically Mm -hmm. headquartered. And then we're backed by the— Minister of Defense's home. So, you know, just like the binoculars are just like trained on yes, you 100% time. of the time. You know, I remember my <laughs> and, uncle... And would sound say, devices trying to capture your yeah. conversations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my uncle would say like, you know, just, you know, the maid's, of course, spending a lot of time, you know, feather dusting the desk, you know, because she's like... <laughs> I don't know, listening. Doing, like listening, <laughs> recording, you know, whatever, you know, like whatever, you know, like this right. kind of thing, you know. But uh, so that was an incredible experience to be there and yeah. the people who came through there to meet with him, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to I went to Aleppo where uh, my family had been and had lived and I saw one of the most... After the genocide. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They had come through. My grandmother had been, I think, put in an orphanage. She wasn't orphaned. I mean, her mother was still alive, but, Mm -hmm. you know, temporary, like these temporary holding places until, you know, the children could be reunited with their parents. So I went to visit these places, you know, bird's nest orphanage Mm. and this kind of thing. And, and, And Aleppo, of course, ruined now, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they had a, this beautiful old, oldest, very tiny little church. There was like a hidden church, Armenian church. I've never seen anything as beautiful as that, I think, in terms of church. I mean, I've seen beautiful churches and everything, but there were... So I I had this experience there and then came back to the States. Did any of those photographs ever make it into any of the projects? No, I I don't remember seeing them on your website or anything. No, I... No, 
I mean, I'm probably going to do something with them at mm-hmm. some point because I've been looking through the archive yeah. um, recently. But into, oh, back to what you were saying about Beirut, when we left Beirut, it was sort of, as I said, you know, we were going to come back. But my father had viewed moving over there as this great chapter in our lives, new chapter where you know, it was going to be exciting. It was exciting, you know, and he had family there, Mm. you know, his two uncles and, um, you know, this incredible city with so many different cultures and peoples and this and that. And we had this beautiful apartment overlooking the Mediterranean. I remember we'd gotten it all set up. And he, so my father was a, was actually a very good uh, photographer, he was very serious about his photography, and he started documenting, you know, our life there. Architects he, often are. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And so, but this one roll of film was sort of ended up the day, or like the day we left. And the pictures are very banal, really. I mean, there's people gathered and suitcases and this and that, a lot of waiting and they were slides, actually. Kodachrome or? No, ectochrome. Oh, ectochrome. Which is kind of too bad. You know? uh, yeah, because now they're fading. <laughs> they're fading. Yes. Right. But, um, but, they, but I decided to do something with those pictures when I, enca- when I came across them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were sort of jumping around a bit, but I had been working doing on a project, in fo- in a photographic project, where I was really dealing with scale and trying to make really large prints. I mean, like, you know, seven by 10 foot prints. And it was so expensive. It was so difficult. This is like 2000 something, early 2000s, that I was just defeated. And so I looked at these images and I thought, well, what's this about? I had very faint memories of it. And so in order to sort of fill in the gaps, I wrote to people and asked them what they remembered about evacuating Uh Beirut. Mm-hmm. I, you know, asked my family too, but it wasn't all my family. And so all these myriad responses came back and, uh, you know, from parents and children and, you know, people who had been children at the time and different attitudes, you know, the kids and the boys and thinking it was exciting to be on the cusp of a war and we, that we were going to be evacuated like out of Saigon and in helicopter, you know, like, I mean, just, you know, like the roof of the embassy, you know, and yeah. these, and so I was really interested in what, what was said, um, you know, what, what, the, what I got back and, and, and how different they were and how people were like, wait, oh, oh no, I remember that now. And, or maybe I don't remember this. And was it more was, mundane than you thought or? Or just what you thought, or I don't know. I wasn't. I wasn't really looking. I wasn't looking for. I mean, oh, you didn't, I didn't have, have a an expectation. Right, right. Yeah, okay, right. yeah. What happened was, I thought, how am I going to make sense of this? What am I going to do with this text? This, this, these texts are so interesting, and I don't just want to use these images. And so, in light of having being sort of stymied on the on the project front with these large prints I was trying to make for something else, I just started futzing around an iMovie. Oh, was wow. it Was it iMovie? Or, yeah. Probably. Or something, yeah. yeah. Some, or something, something like whatever that. Whatever it was called before was iMovie. Called, right, right, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> Apple just, Movie Maker or Apple, whatever. <laughs> right, just something really basic, like a sort of glorified slideshow. Right. And so I ended up putting together what eventually became this film or, or you know, video, really, which well, is text and image. That really does get us to the... the the heart of your work. <laughs> yeah. 
Is, was that the first time you included text and image? Yes, yeah. that was the first time. Because you you had a you have a couple of a series on your site that that are a bit more pure photography, Empire and the photographs of people reading. Yeah, right. That was that graduate work. Was that pre graduate work? That was. Uh, photographs of people reading I started while I was here at SVA. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then Empire I did after just, just after graduating. Okay. But the, the bulk of what you show on your website does involve text. Yeah. Right? That I sort of found my, my stride there. Mm-hmm. I had come from this really great tradition of sort of uh, straight photography and, you know, very important and influential teachers. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah, I also had, you know, Sarah Charlesworth, who was a really conceptual artist and, oh, and this kind of thing. Here. But here. Yeah, yeah. SVA. Yep. But I had come into SVA and come into photography really through portraiture. That has always sort of been my interest. And I think I was doing self-portraits when I came in to school. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on to portraits of other people and I doing self-portraits it's a little bit like um, you know it's a very so so totally insular Uh right and at some point I thought okay enough of me and but I wanted to keep that idea of privacy you know uh, or something kind of in the portrait experience. And in fact, the self-portraits I were, was doing, I mean, you, you wouldn't know this from looking at them, but they were based on books I had read as a young oh, okay. girl. Right, you wouldn't know it by looking yeah, at it. Yeah, no, right, it wasn't. Right. It was not, that's something that's just for the, for the artist to know, really. But, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it wasn't meant to be manifest in the work at all. But Well, but I, it's, it's the underlying conceptual meaning of the work in some ways, right? Like it adds to the, and that's, when we have conversations about whether or not you should be talking, you know, you talk about your work, you don't talk about your work. That's, that's the, that's a richness that gets added to the work in conversation. Right. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, it's You're something not you want to know. Conceptualize. Yeah. No. <laughs> conversation. <laughs> no. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> and yeah, so I started, I moved from the self portraits to doing portraits and I thought, well, I may put the book out front and center, you know, and it, they were, I called them, it's like the reading series, but in fact, it was about people like not reading. And I guess in the, all my studies here, I had been, you know, I read Barth. Right. And, <laughs> uh, and this idea, I, you know, I, I wrote this down in my notes uh, from the time that he had said this, but I'm not, I, I've never been able to find it again. Oh. So I'm not sure if that's correct, but it was the work of the book is done when the mind wanders. Mm -hmm. And I like that moment of like, you know, you're sort of reading and then you start drifting off and this idea of daydreaming uh, or reverie, Mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. So I did that. And I was do this idea of the sort of contemplative portrait. And the whole thing was very staged, you know, totally staged. It wasn't like I was snapping. It wasn't (laughs) like Elliot Erwitt, who has some great, or is it him? I don't remember. I don't know. um, People reading? People reading, yeah. Uh, Elliot Erwitt, I mean, maybe some... Or Cartage's book. No, sorry, Cartage. Sorry, um, where people are reading, you know, this was like, I'm directing them like exactly where to put their, Mm. you know, how high to hold the book, you know, this kind of thing. And at the time, too, I was also maybe interested in this idea of the staged, staging a moment, there was this kind of raging debate happening when I was at SVA, or at the time I was in school, grad school, which was about, you know, sort of straight photography versus staged. Oh, wow. 
And I remember... Mid-90s, we're talking still? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I remember Sarah Charlesworth came and said, you know, I was you know, your job as a, you know, artist is to, you know, go and see shows and, you know, you make work and see shows. And, and, and she said, I was just out there and I was there with going out with, going around with Barbara Gladstone and, you know, who said to me, you know, if it's staged, it's art. If it's not, it's something else. Document Meaning photography, or something. right? Yeah, like yeah, this yeah. kind of like what? What right. are we? Like, <laughs> like you know, she was, and she—I mean, she wasn't holding this up as something that she admitted, uh, believed in. She was just saying, oh, yeah. like, uh, here yeah. I am with the Barbara Gladstone. Right. This is what she thinks. This is what you know, someone who's going who's, to who's make going or to break, make or break a lot right? Of people, and right. so we were all like, gee, man, <laughs> stage some photos. You know? <laughs> Get no, back in the studio. It wasn't that. It was just that I wanted to make portraits, and portraits are, you know, uh, you know, they're a given take you know yeah. so that there is necessarily a kind of you know deliberation that's very you know mm-hmm. in, in engagement engagement in portraiture right. so that's that that was that and then after that i wanted to take that like idea of contemplation outside because it's very hard to make portraits all the time like people cancel on you and or they're not available or you know it's got to people <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Books won't do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was like, I was like, you know, and also a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, missteps. You know, a lot of, a lot of times, you somebody gives you the chance to make a portrait of them, with them, however you want to say it, you know, and and it doesn't really work out. Mm-hmm. Like it's not. So so my batting average was becoming very low. Mm-hmm. I was getting discouraged. And I thought I need to have a, 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 another side hustle here, <laughs> you know. So I decided I would have a kind of antithesis work, which would be—I mean, I'm calling it that now. I'm not, not right. saying it was, but but where I would be outside, you know, I didn't have to ask anybody to take their picture, and you know, and they would also it would also be a, a portrait format, and. For that, I thought, okay, I'm going to have people looking down onto the city. I think I might have read like Michelle de Certeau or something mm. like that. You know, like that. And, and so I went first to the World Trade Towers because I thought, okay, this is the highest you can go. But they don't really look down. But you don't really look down. <laughs> I remember right. being up there. Right. You look across. You look across. Yeah. And so I thought, I went to the Empire State Building. And of course, there you're really looking down. Of course, when I got there, I thought, oh, this fence, I'm yeah, kind of you're screwed. screwed. Right. <laughs> this cast iron or wrought iron fence, right. right. Fence. But in fact, it was perfect because You can see it in the pictures. They they peek their heads they're, through the they're, yeah, yeah, how they're dealing yeah. with this fence and looking onto the city. And yeah. it was it was perfect. I think I went up there like eighty times one summer, <laughs> one whole summer, you know, I was just up there every day at <laughs> night at this, you know, mixing and it was great. You know, mm-hmm. to sort of have that foil, uh, that kind of a project where it's like, you know, yeah, here I am, I'm photographing people and, uh, you know, doing a sort of a portrait with them. And then the other ones where it's like, you're just photographing. Right. Yeah. Right, right. And of course, uh, when you're visiting places like that, access to people becomes a little easier. People are expecting you to have a camera. And, well, that was the right. perfect thing about it, too, because I never was successful as a street photographer mm-hmm. you know i just didn't have the personality to yeah 
to be able to. I've never been good at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, I needed that kind of a that kind of a situation. Yep. And that is another you know form of um, a way of controlling the the parameters, right? A way of right. right. I think yeah. I think you know you could do anything, and so you know artists, you have to give yourself some strictures. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And um, so then, you know, text more and more becomes a, a bigger part of the work to the point where you have whole series of, of pieces that are photographs of pages, yeah. and, right? That's right. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> like you can see the ink dots, you can see the different fonts being used, you can see the different color of pages and the, the different kinds of paper and all. And, and you know, I am not as well read as you are, and I'm not going to pretend to know all the references from all the work that you make, you know, so I'm not going to, so, and you have a lot of work and people should visit it on the website and and they'll get from it what they get from it. And I don't think you expect everyone to know exactly what all the books are or that you have to read all the books in order to understand the work. There's this incredible passion for the actual page in your work, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think what happened was one summer, beautiful sort of summer day uh, and I was outside and I was reading and I distinctly remember because I photographed it this first time it was um, Sebald who I hadn't really you know he had not been on my radar you know but I I just the way the light was on the page and the mm. wind came and ruffled it <laughs> and I thought this is a beautiful moment and so my response was to photograph it and kind of capture that moment. And then I didn't really think about it for a little while until, I don't know, who knows when. But mm-hmm. I thought, there's something here. I mean, this that the, those images you're talking about are not, like, they're I'm working at. Those are, like, in in progress, yeah. you know, in terms of, a, in terms of like, what the work, the body of work is eventually going to be. Right, right. And I don't, actually, I haven't really been thinking about what the books are. Mm-hmm. It's more like how light hits the page. It's sort of the beauty, beauty of yeah. photography. But you there, know? there there does tend to be a, you lean towards more classics, is that fair to say? Or yeah. literature that, that is uh, well-established? I think so. I mean, yeah. I read, you know, I, I read some more contemporary writers, but... I don't know. It just depends. It's like mm-hmm. I've, I've, you know, I, I read about somebody. I used to read the obits, which are just a wonderful. Like, well, I mean, like, okay, <laughs> just qualify that statement. Yes. Um, uh, you know, just they're they are a wonderful way of, uh, you know, reading a biography um, mm-hmm. and learning about somebody who whom you might not have known anything about. And I remember I found out about many people, but including Zbigniew Herbert, who is an intense, wonderful poet was. I mean, he's, uh-huh. he's deceased, Polish. And I don't know, so I'll read something if I, you know, I'll read about, you know, I was reading about Rachel Cusk and, and I've read some of her shorter, you know, contributions to things that she made to magazines or publications, but I haven't really read a full book, mm-hmm. something I might read that now. Yeah. But what is it, um, like, what you're doing in many ways is also excerpting, Right when you're when you're uh, showing uh, parts, showing paragraphs, showing sentences, why do you see that as visual? The you know the the, the snippet or the yeah the, the oh just a, a part of a page part or, of a page. Yeah. Well, I I just think because we do get to read while we're you you actually you know you're the, the the viewer has to read your work 
that, that, that work at least, right? Otherwise, it, it doesn't really make sense. Well, it doesn't. I mean, I'm not sure that that, yeah, I'm not, I have to figure out with that, which I'm sort of posting, I think I'm posting that on my Instagram, mm-hmm. which is really more, you know, I'm putting pictures, I'm still trying to figure that out. Is it, you know, it, it is going to be important about what is shown, what is what is legible, what's, ex, you know, like, and maybe that's the thread, that it's got to have a thread through it, through all the pictures in the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you can pick out, I can pick out something that I want people to focus on. Yeah. And then there is, they're in some sort of message. Well, you're recontextualizing, oh, you yeah. know, the work, right? Yeah. By isolating sentences, sometimes the sentence itself be um, out of context of the whole piece, it it becomes this whole interesting poetry, something that maybe wasn't meant to be poetry suddenly sounds like poetry. That's possible. Yeah. I'd like to think so. Yeah. And so the uh, you have on your uh, I noticed on your site you and you you're actually posting it on Instagram. You were just you're in Journal Three of the Husak Institute, which is a fascinating place um, and story. Uh, it's it's a it's something that uh, disappeared for a while and was brought back, and it, it it's a platform for n- unconventional artists in a way, <laughs> like people who do work that's not easily definable. It's also yeah, I mean, I think she the Husak Institute, you know, we were invited to submit, and the idea is that you're either gonna you might want to submit something that you are not known for, like if you're a painter and mm-hmm. you're, you know, sort of quietly writing poetry or something Jenny Perlin like that. Is Jenny Perlin brought it right, back. Brought it right. back. Yeah. And or maybe, and this I find sort of great, a project that you know you might have started and it never got off the ground, or just something that's sort of like you're you're doing it, you never showed it to somebody. Right. You know, it's in the back of your studio. You know, you're working on it. It's an online platform, right? And this Husak Institute is an online platform. Yeah, it's great. I was very, really, really happy to be uh, invited to participate in it. And there's a, this is the third issue, or journal. Journal three. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> journal three. So then there's some great, I'm in some great company, uh-huh. and there's people whose work I don't know also, so right. that's, that's really nice. And so your piece is uh, Letters to Simon. And so what is that about? So I was thinking about this epistolary form and the way I always think about portraiture and I was thinking about this way of you know making a portrait of someone through letters which you know is of course a long tradition you have a long tradition of that I mean there are there are writers whom people wrote to and I'm thinking of like Norman Douglas people everybody all kinds of people wrote to him you know Joseph Conrad and Nancy Cunard and whatever and and he never kept any of their letters, hmm. but they kept all of his. Oh, oh. And, interesting. You know, and so then there's, there's like a lot the of like response, response to, things. to things. You don't have the you original have, letter, <laughs> right? So you know, and I and I also uh, there's various books about you know that are that are done in letter epistolary form, like whole whole novels done in epistolary mm-hmm. form. And so I had always been sort of writing letters, and and some of them are you know just jazzed up and fictional or I'd write something to somebody and then I'd sort of make my own version of it that would be actually for some sort of art project which I didn't really have in mind I didn't really know what I was you know I didn't have any anything fixed about it and so I have all these different kinds of writings that are letter writings and 
this is not a finished letters to Simon is not a finished project at all. It's, uh, but it's the idea of creating a character that various different people are writing to. Are, is, are these your words? Well, I've written them all. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I've I, written them all, but they're like they're not me. Right? You no, know no, I mean? you're, you're, it's it's character. It's, it's a character, yeah, yeah, yeah. or a, a few characters, and so they're written really well. So, oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you know, but I, Wait, you know, I need that, to. Was I that a compliment to, or insult? Because I, I didn't know, know it was you. <laughs> I know exactly. Oh, I'm gonna think about that. I'm gonna go back and hear this later and be like, oh my god, you know, like that was that you? moment. <laughs> No, they're beautifully written. They really are beautifully written. Thanks. But yeah, there's yeah. also like, you know, there's yeah. also ones that are sort of like short, almost like postcard, like sarcastic mm-hmm. ones. Yes. Too. I didn't no, include... they're funny. They're, yeah. they're well written. They, they, they do have this other period kind of tone to them, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I do have to, I'm setting them all in a certain kind of period. Oh, Like, okay. you know, so, right. so they have to have a certain kind of tone, but mm-hmm. they're, you know, and obviously this Simon is, you know, some sort of. Anglo type person, right? So, you know, okay. We don't know very much about Simon yet, but it will have a, you know, there is a photographic element to it, though. That, but I haven't, you know, I'm not putting that out there yet because I'm still. Oh, yeah. I thought you were. I thought you were talking about the what look like aged and faded pages. Well, there's right? that, but I think I, but I'm, and okay. you know, maybe I will ditch this idea eventually if I don't uh-huh. really fight, find the right kinds of imagery to go with it. But that's how I work. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like sometimes I'll find images and I'll just love those images. And then yeah. maybe a year or two years or whatever, I'll find a text and I'm like, you know, this is going to go with this. Right. So um, you can find that at Husa. Husak. Insti- Husak. That's yeah. it. Sorry. Not Husa C. Husak Institute.com and then Journal 3. And then when you click on it, it, it goes to a, a Google Drive where yeah. the PDF is Where stored. the PDF resides. Well, it's kind of low tech. Well, it's. it's <laughs> It's the thing is that some of By the, the way, I clicked on it one too many times and it wouldn't let me see it. It wouldn't let me see the whole PDF anymore, just like one page of the PDF. Oh, really? <laughs> so download it because oh, yeah. you can download it. You can download it. it. Yeah. So if you're okay with that, download yeah. it if you really want to read it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, that's true. It's like, I don't know. Well, you know, it's it would be nice if they were, J, you know, JPEGs because you could just look at it right there. If you could online, keep it on the site. Yeah. But yeah. it just apparently, like, I don't know, didn't work out that way. So I had to do the PDF. We're low tech at the Zach Institute. You know, there's always room for growth. It's nice. You get your own copy of it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, and then, uh, um, I, I remember you inviting me to this event and I couldn't make it, but it was, I think it was the start at one at one, 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 or one, how, what, how do you say it? One at one eleven or one at one, one, one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? And so is it still active? It's, or? Well, it's, we're, we're, it's been, it's been sort of dormant for a little while because of our both, um, it's something I started with Rachel Googleberger, who's mm-hmm. a curator and uh, a friend and, it's been a little dormant for a while, but we're starting it back up, actually. Oh, we're, okay. Like, we're starting to do some programming. Yeah. But we wanted to have a place, you know, you go to these panel discussions, and they just, or talk, you know, talks, and then there's always a Q&A at the end. And it's it's so all-encompassing. And, and it's also like yeah. a little, a little, it never, it's always falls short. It's like, it's never, you know, so we wanted to have a place and a situation where we could talk about work of different kinds, you know, or exhibitions or whatever, or with a small group and in a kind of round table setting. And so we decided to start 
I guess you call it a salon, but it's each event is by sort of invitation because we'll invite someone to present one thing about something that they're working on or have worked on or, or you know, working through or something like that, whether it's a, an artwork or a show or a piece of writing or something like that, and talk about that one aspect. So everybody sort of focuses on that one aspect. Uh, so that's the one. Yeah, I, th- I understood the premise to be you could do a little more of a deep dive on a more right. narrow topic. Right. Right, right, right. So that, and that's something that I think it's great to to do and for, you know, people who are interested to start something where they can just have their, you know, start a, whatever, however you want to mm-hmm. fashion your platform, whether it's, you know, a, you know, an open mic thing or, or, a, or an event yeah. or, you know, a round table, you know, whatever it is. But it sort of came out of the desire to just have some, you know, something of our own. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've presented your work. Uh, at the Marble Hill Camera Club, Patrice Helmar's Marble Hill Camera Club. Which work did you present there? Was it an overview or? Uh, no, I presented one work, which uh, I presented my primer, primer, uh, <laughs> which I'm which leaving is both a of those piece, in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, how do we say this word? Um, that it's basically I I showed it. There, it, it's a piece I originally did as a video and then later changed into a different format where it's sort of in a, in a vitrine, images and text laid out in a vitrine. But basically in the Arab Spring and Occupy Wall Street were happening mm-hmm. and I was looking at these images coming out of both of those, um, mo- you know, both of those moments and, and, and I was thinking back, it made me, it just made me start thinking back to, you know, I guess I felt a little jaded, like I'd seen this kind of imagery, you know, before. Jaded, maybe not quite the right word, but I sort of, I guess I was, made, it just made me think back to those images that had been really impactful for me when I was young. And I started thinking about you know, that image of Salvador Allende in front of La Moneda during the coup Mm -hmm. uh, in Chile, and then Iran hostage crisis and things like that. And and I sort of felt like, well, these are important images, too. Do you remember all the hijacking images we used to see? They'd always be the the long zoom uh, camera on the pilot in the window or someone, like somebody like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you say those... You say those images, and and people of our age like it. It invokes those those ectochrome blue, right? <laughs> right? And like gra- yeah, 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 grainy, yeah, 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 yeah. grainy, yeah. and only a way a film can be, film can be. That's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. And so I started. I wanted to. I I just started looking at those images and looking, and you know, certainly that picture of uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos on the podium in '68. I mean, all those images that had been so like intense and important for mm-hmm. me and that I hadn't understood at the time. And, uh, you know, they were like these great sort of mysteries and they were bounded by this frame and it meant that there was a lot more to learn about what was happening mm-hmm. from those, you know, from just seeing those images. And so I decided, and I, I'm trying to think how I actually ended up deciding to do a, a primer, but I think it's because I also 
well, I have a, you know young nieces and nephews. Well, not so young anymore, but they <laughs> they. I was rereading Tarzan. I thought this might be sort of interesting. I was trying to decide was this interesting would be interesting for my nephew who lives close to me. And there is in the book. That's how I started actually. It was rereading rereading Tarzan. There's a moment in the book where Tarzan, this little feral child goes into this cabin that was apparently the place of his birth. He doesn't know it and comes across this child's illustrated alphabet. So it's very, he's moved to learn how to read. And it starts, A is for Archer who shoots with a bow. B is for boy. His first name is Joe. That's all you get. But I thought of that image of Allende and there's a sort of companion image that goes with it that nobody really, you never really see, but it's the pictures of the soldiers this, uh, on the roof across the street firing down at, at them. Oh. And I thought about this image with Evander, with his heads you know, up, he's got the machine gun, he's got the glasses, he's got the helmet, they're all around, the bodyguards are around him, and it's just, it reminded me of, a, you know, this... A, Archer at the Battle of Hastings. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, like A, you know, A is for, for Archer. Archer. <laughs> this is it. And so then I thought, well, but B is for boy. Like, what's that going to be? So then I decided I would make a whole alphabet. You know, I would do the whole alphabet and I would use images. And I just, I just took from everywhere. Which, so uh, what's the title of that work? It's called, it's, well, it was actually just called Primer at the oh, time. Oh, okay. And then what happened is that Broomberg and Sharonin came out with, they had a primer that was, you know, based on the, the Brecht oh. book. And so I had to, we were, well, I was going to be exhibited or, or, you know, published about. And so I needed to differentiate it. So I, so I put jungle battles Jungles, on it right. because that's actually the chapter of the Tarzan book. Oh, that this okay. Is in. Right, right. Yeah. And that's, that was a, kind of great experience to work with photographs that I loved or that I wanted to revisit or find out about or ones that I didn't know. And then, of course, to work with what was coming out of those uh, of Arab Spring at the mm -hmm. time. And then also I, I didn't put Occupy Wall Street. It kept it. It was actually, you kept it. I kept I kept it to be like about, you know, actual revolution revolution. Yeah. But what was interesting about that is that I I thought, oh, well, this one, this image works, but this one too. And, or maybe I'll change the text. Uh, and so I was sort of going back and forth, making it. Sometimes the image would inspire t the text and sometimes the vice versa. But at a certain point, I think I, I thought that people should know these images. And that's how I started it, thinking like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feature these images that I love, that are important, etc. And then I realized, you know, the way images are, disseminated today they're just so totally untethered from their from their original context right but you have the credit oh yeah on right. the, the website and there's you're using a, a kind of viewer is that are these uh with with a label maker <laughs> yeah i use the whole like what's that you know like the it's like the, the old dino, the old label, dino maker. label maker yeah, yeah, like i the, thought that was kind of you know instead of you know instead of like typing out on the yeah, computer not, not not the fancy brother p touch right no i thought there was <laughs> the something one that pushes the fun. letters through the yeah, plastic em embossed that's or something right. i don't know yeah. if that's the right word probably yeah 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 <laughs> And what was it, what was important learning uh, experience for me was that I originally made it as a, a video, 
And that was very imp- interesting and impactful. Like, you know, you're mm-hmm. getting these, you're getting hammered by these kind of terrible images and, and the world's not looking good. And the history, our history is not yeah. looking, we're not, we're not really progressing. Does, does your uh, life experience and your travels and living abroad, does that, um, you know, affect what your interest is in, in the politics and the Middle East and other places? It must. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think I make work that's really like really outwardly. I mean, this, it's this not piece overtly is political, like, overtly political. This is the most maybe, right? In right. Some ways. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so I, I would say definitely. Yeah. No. I mean, do definitely. you still have family? No, in, not, no okay. not. Yeah. Not. In the, I, I would, couldn't even think of which country to say. When yeah. I said that. <laughs> not, in, not in Lebanon anymore. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But probably extended, you know, extended family in, mm-hmm. in, you know, what was Soviet Armenia and is now Republic of Armenia. You know, right. Right, right now. Yeah. Right. So what are you working on now? You're bringing back one at one, one, one. Yeah, doing that, <laughs> right? right. And, and you just had a book in I, the 30th uh, anniversary book fair here at SVA. Yeah. Double Portrait. Double Portrait. Mm-hmm. That one is also uh, somewhat political in, the, it is, in that yeah. way. I mean, it, it's definitely political. Yeah. That's this pairing of, of Harold Pinter and, and, and Voltaire. And Pinter's talking about having been a conscientious objector when he was young. Mm-hmm. The idea there was I was interested in like, oh, how do you make a, how do you make a, you know, what happens when you, when you twin these two up, right. you know, and what, I had originally tried to do this piece as a video. Oh, and, this was, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was never satisfied with it. And I was also, I think, kind of tired of working on the computer, you know. A- am I wrong or do you have an assistant producer credit on a movie? Or a film. I probably do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I probably do. Yeah, I'm not a producer credit. I mean, I think I was an assistant to. I was assistant to um, my. my, Yeah, a director. A director. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, but that's that was yeah. Yeah, but that's not really part. That's not really my work. No, right. But but is film and video always interested? You in in terms of and thinking about if what you could do with it. I'm actually really interested in the the sort of still photograph, mm-hmm. and in fact, oh, almost all my video works are sort of stills. Stills. Yeah. 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 And I like this idea of putting them in a filmic context, even with the f- scratchy film yeah, quality, right? Film quality, <laughs> and and also making them silent. That was something that was important. You to have me. a piece that's a silent piece. Yeah, so, yeah. almost all my videos are silent. Oh. I think they're all silent, actually, and because I feel like there's there's this Im- kind of imaginative space that kind of opens up when mm-hmm. viewers have to sort of read and look and kind of reconcile, you know, word and image mm-hmm. and which may not, you know, they may, one's not illustrative necessarily of the other. Right. Are you a Borges fan? You know, I haven't read him in a long time. I mean, either. he was, yeah, he yeah. was somebody I, I did read a lot of. Because I always, I always, and I, I think I've even said it a couple of times on the show because he keeps coming up with other uh, artists that he exercises your mind visually in a different way than other writers i think uh off it's often non-visual in the way he writes but you're stretching to make it visual i always feel like that's yeah. a good way of describing it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so i i feel like you're there's a there's always that that tension in your work where you're you are especially with the work with the text you're you're asking people to stretch themselves visually 
to to sort of fill it in while they're looking at something visually and reading at the same time. That's a piece, a whole piece. That yeah. is, yeah, that's definitely kind of the the area that I'm trying to mine, mm-hmm. where you know the the audience, the viewer, the reader is you know sort of working to sort of complete the work. I think that's the same with creating silent video. Yeah. <laughs> the first, as I'll admit it, the fir- when I was you know getting ready for the the show, I um I was exploring your work, of course, and I I, I clicked on the Vimeo link and I'm like, where's the sound icon? <laughs> I know, I'm always like putting like silent video in big caps, but you know, it's very interesting. I, I screened something and I remember like two, like a couple years later, someone came up to me and said, you know, I just remember that and, you know, describe the work. And then, and I just, and I love the sound. And I was like, <laughs> that's perfect. And it's they remember perfect sound. because people yeah. fill sound in. Yeah, Silence yeah. is never really no. silent. No, yeah. there's you're filling in like there's somehow dialogue. like it's di- yeah, like because you're you're like listening to it in your head. That's yeah. what happens, I think, especially when you're reading in your head. Like you know, there's there's something going on. Absolutely, I haven't really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, probably, you know, it's like I was like, if I have to deal with sound, I'm already dealing with film and moving, <laughs> moving, you know, like, you know, like temp time, temporal qualities right. and everything. Like I can't handle another okay. element. Right. <laughs> I have to download some uh, free music from the free music archive. Exactly. <laughs> It'll never truly work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, nice. Well, thank you very much. It's This has been a long time coming. I mean, we've known each other for, for yeah, many years. Many years. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is so great. Yes. Thanks again. That was a lot of fun catching up. Bye, everyone. Okay.